Hello, this is David Keel, and I want to welcome you to TNBS, the Thursday night Bible study. This study was held on December 9th, 2010. Tonight we're going to look at one of my favorite psalms, the first psalm. So welcome again. This is TNBS, Volume 2, Session 32. Tonight we're going to be in uh, looking at psalms. We're going to not start the entire book, Jep. We're going to just do the first one for, for tonight. The first psalm, which according to my Bible doesn't really say who wrote this one. So I guess we really don't know who the psalmist is in this point. And in my studies, I didn't go in-depth studies on this one as far as the background of it. But I, I didn't read anywhere where it indicated who might have written this. But... I like this psalm. I, I like what it says. I think it's some good lessons we can learn from it. And it's, and it's phrased a little bit differently than a lot of the psalms. Uh, it's phrased in the negative, which I find interesting, particularly if you try to, re- which I have done uh, here and I will do tonight, reverse it and look and, and phrase it in the positive. So anyway, starts off by says, how blessed is the man. Now, my Bible says how blessed, NIV says how blessed. New Living Translation says, oh, the joys of a man. The actual Hebrew word could also be translated happy. So how happy is the man, or how blessed is the man, or oh, the joys that fill the man, basically, is what the psalmist is saying here. And, and what the psalmist is going to do is going to contrast the righteous and the wicked. It's going to make a contrast between those two individuals, the righteous and the wicked. And like I said, it is expressed negatively. He says, basically, how happy or joyful or blessed is the man who does not, and he's going to name three things in this first verse. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not follow the advice of the wicked, who does not live, walk, if you were to look at walk as in the sense of living our lives as we walk through life. How happy is the man who does not live to please the world, which is really what the advice of the wicked would be in most cases. Now, if you want to state that positively, I think we'd have to look at it this way, where it says, How blessed or happy or joyful is the man who walks or who lives or who guides his life following the advice of God. Which kind of be just the opposite, if you want to phrase it positively. So the psalmist says, he said, How blessed is the man who does not live under the counsel of the wicked. Or in a positive <laughs> sense, how blessed would be the man who does live under the counsel of God. That made me think of Proverbs 3, 5, of course, when it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, because quite often we do try to follow our own advice or, or the advice of the world, or we try to live our lives in such that we, that we do fit in with the world rather than be an exception to the world. And the psalmist says, To do that, you will not be blessed. You will not be joyful. You will not be happy. It, it would, we need to be living our lives in the counsel of God in a positive sense. And the second part of that is said, how blessed is a man or happy or joyful is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or who does not stand in the path of sinners. Now, of course, I guess if, if you stop and think about it, if we are walking or living our lives following the advice of the wicked or the world, where do you think you're going to wind up <laughs> other than standing in the path of the sinners? Uh, you're going to be living a life of a sinner. You're going to be living like the world if you follow his advice. If you follow the advice of the world where it says this is what you need uh, to be happy and joyful and, and, and blessed. This is, what, this is the kind of lifestyle that you need. This is the kind of house you need to live in. This is the kind of clothes you need to wear. This is what you need to be doing. This is how much money you need to have. This is the kind of partying you need to do. This is, the, you know, this is what's going to make you happy. And if we follow that advice... Sure enough, you're going to wind up standing in the path of, of sinners. That's what's going to, exactly what's going to happen. 
stated positive, positively, blessed is the man who lives under the counsel of God, or blessed is he who stands on God's path, who has found that narrow path, that narrow way which Christ talks about in the fifth chapter of Matthew. You know, the narrow straight path that leads to everlasting life. Blessed is the man who finds that, who, who finds himself standing in that path in the positive sense. To reverse that phrase. And then finally the third saying, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand in the path of sinners, and who does not sit in the seat of scoffers, who does not pass time with people who put down God, who put down God's people, who make fun of Christians, who scoff at the rules and commandments of God. That's what a scoffer is. Kind of like in Proverbs where you know you have wise fools and scoffers. Three types of people that are talked about in Proverbs, where the wise man knows the right thing to do and does it. The fool is the one who knows the right thing to do and decides not to do it. And the scoffer is the one who knows the right thing to do, decides not to do it, and makes fun of those who do. You know, so it's the same type of thing. So he says, blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of the scoffers, who does not associate with people who are putting down God or who do not follow God's rules or who scoff at God's rules and commandments. Or... To positively state it, blessed is he who fellowships with God's people, who spends time with fellow believers in, fe- in fellowship and worship, as opposed to sitting in the seat of the scoffers, to put it on the positive side. And notice, notice the physical progression here, which I've always found interesting in this psalm. The actual physical progression of what it's talking about. To walk, to stand, to sit. We start by walking, with, with being with sinful people, being around sinful people by listening to their counsel, by starting to live our lives based on their counsel. And you do that by being around them or walking with them. Then all of a sudden the next progression is to stand. This progresses to us standing or spending time with sinful people, uh, engaged in ungodly things. And finally it winds up being sitting with them. We have now become one of them. We have actually become one of them in spirit and in actions. So you see the progression, uh, and this, this is how the, uh, what is the old evangelist phrase, the slippery slope of sin, you know, <laughs> to where it's not something you just jump right into a lot of times. Satan a lot of times will get us, just start nudging us off the right path, away from God, and, and that can start by just starting to hang around sinful people, you know, walking with them and, and, and listening to them as well as listening to God or trying to. And then that can sometimes lead to where you actually stand and stop. And now you start spending time with them and, and you're fellowshipping with them, you know. And then that can wind up where you finally just sit down. You're in the midst of them. You become one of them. You become part of them. So you can see the kind of the physical progression of walking, which leads to standing, which leads to sitting. But, you know... That same progression can also be on the positive side as well. And the psalmist here is talking about blessed is the man who does not follow this progression and wind up living a wicked, sinful life. But at the same time, blessed is the man who does follow that progression in the positive sense. It it, it can work the same way. The same progression can also lead to godliness. It all depends on where you start. For example, if we are walking with being with godly people, listening to their counsel and advice, and then we progress to standing with them, spending time with them, fellowshipping with them, and then it leads to sitting with them, becoming one of them, be starting to act and to think like them, that can be a very positive thing. 
So the same type of progression can take place, and quite often in our spiritual journey, that's exactly what has taken place. That's the way we have come to Christ, is through this type of progression to where you become... It's like becoming more and more involved or, more, or putting more and more of yourself into something. Just walking with and by and being partaking around on the, on the outskirts is one thing, but standing and listening and discussing and fellowshipping is something else. But sitting down in the midst of them, that's when you become one of them. Now, the psalmist is warning the righteous man not to do that when it comes to, to, the, to the wicked and to the sinners and to the scoffers. But it can be a very positive thing if we're talking about God's advice and God's people and fellowship with them in worship, walking, standing, and sitting with them. So the same type of progression can both be positive and negative. It all depends on where we start. It depends on who you're walking and standing and sitting with <laughs> is what the whole point is. So then he goes into verse 2. Again, this is a positive action. So how blessed is the man who does not do these three things, but his delight is the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates both day and night. The blessed man, the joyful man, the man that is happy, doesn't do these three things, and he takes delight in the law of the Lord. And this, the word delight there can actually be translated desire. In fact, in other parts of the Scripture, it is translated desire. He has a desire for the Word of God. He has a hunger for it. It brings him great pleasure. The Word of God does. He doesn't walk. He doesn't stand. He doesn't sit. But he takes great pleasure, a great desire for the Word of God. And, and in this word, he meditates. He chews on it. You know, the image there, which I've heard in some commentaries when the, when the med- word meditate is used, in fact, it's, I think it's only used in the, in the Old Testament in the, in the translations, is like a cow chewing its cud. Meditate. It's, it's, it's not just thinking about it. It's actually just digest what God's Word is saying. Like a cow sits there and, and chews and chews and chews and chews, gets all the goody out of whatever he's eating. This is what the word kind of meditate, the connotation in my mind, it kind of carries with it. It's not just reading. It's not just memorizing even. But it's thinking about it. It's allowing the Word of God to, to permeate our lives, to become part of all of our lives. To, oh, well, the best example I think is to, is to, it's like marinating our lives in the Word of God. And that reminds me of that story, which is a vivid example, which I know I've shared here before. I don't know if it's with any of y'all. <laughs> Probably the cruises. Y'all have been here so long. There's an example we heard at Superwell. How many years ago? Gee, a long time ago. And I can't think of now who it was. Yeah, they, you have probably heard it too. But it's still a great example about the guy who was talking about his wife. Who uh, he, was in, he was in youth ministry and his, and his wife was at home. And, and they were planning on grilling chicken breasts that night. And so she was going to put it in Dale's marinade. Remember that? And, and as the story goes, if you remember, one thing after another kept delaying them eating the chicken, and she left it in the mail of marinade until like two or three days later when they finally got around to eating the chicken, and they opened up the bag, and there was no chicken. It was just, it was just this thick, soupy-like stuff in this bag because the marinade had completely dissolved the chicken, and there was no longer looking chicken. It was just, yeah. But the marinade and the chicken had become inseparable. Well, that's the kind of concept that, we, that the psalmist, I think, is talking about here when he says he delights in the Word of God. He meditates in the Word of God. He marinates. And notice it, he uses the preposition in. He doesn't say he meditates on. He said he meditates in the Word of God, in my scripture anyway. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates. And to me, that, that's a little bit different action than just meditating on. It's, it's more like the marinade example of just allowing the Word of God to become such a part of your life and every part of your life, which God should be. And I think we have such a great tendency 
to segregate our lives from God at points. You know, we, we think, okay, church, that's God, and Bible study, that's God, maybe a quiet time in the morning, that's God. But then these other areas of our life, you know, God doesn't have a part of. And that's a real great temptation to do that. And that's not the way God is, you know. He's, he's part of all of us. He's part of every part of our lives. And His Word, the truth of His Word, should be as well. Just as God's Word dictates how maybe how we act and behave and the words we use and the phrases we use at church on a Sunday morning should also dictate our actions and our words and our attitudes on a Monday through Saturday. It should become a part of us. Marinate ourselves in the Word of God. This is what the righteous man does, says the psalmist. He does not stand, uh, walk, he does not stand, he does not sit, but he marinates his life in the Word of God. So what about the wicked? Well, look, the results of these actions of, of not walking and not standing and not sitting, but delighting in the Lord and marinating your life, look at verse 3. And if he does these things, if he doesn't do the things in verse 1, and he does the things in verse 2, then he will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. The results of not doing verse 1 and the results of doing verse 2 is that he's firmly planted. And to me, that brings up an imagery of, of a tree with, with deep roots. You know, kind of like a pine tree. You know, pine tree's got that taproot that goes straight down. I mean, a long way. And if you notice, pine trees are usually pretty resistant to storms, unless they get whiplashed and snapped off at the top. Don't see many pine trees broken off of the ground because they do have such a deep root. On the other hand, I remember when I was out in California touring the redwood forest, that was one of the problems with the redwood forest. Their roots were right on top of the ground. They were very close to the top of the surface of the ground. They didn't grow deep. They grew out to support those huge trees. That's the way they survived. But as a result, they said, people walking around could erode away the, the, the dirt of the roots, and sometimes the trees would fall over because their root system was so shallow. But the man who doesn't do walking and standing and sitting, who does delight in the wart, Lord, he has deep roots. He's firmly planted. Firmly planted. Look over in Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3 mentions the same type of illustration. 3.17 of Ephesians. And my Bible has gotten so, it's fallen apart so bad I can't even find half the books. Ephesians 3.17. I'll go back up to 14 where this whole phrase starts. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father and from every family in heaven and on earth derives his name that he would grant you according to the riches of the glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the man. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with the saints. That's the same type of phrase being rooted and grounded in love. That you will be strengthened he says in verse 16 and the way we're strengthened is by being rooted and grounded in love. The psalmist says here, is the wise man, the righteous man, is like a tree firmly planted. He can withstand the storms of life because he's rooted into God. So not only can he withstand the storms of life, but he does not wither. It says that he will be like planted by streams of water and yields its fruit in the season. His leaf does not wither. So not only can he withstand the storms of life, but he can withstand the droughts of life. Those desert times in our lives, those times when life can just sometimes get so oppressive 
and maybe in his boredom even, or just you know, just feel like things are weighing us down, and and it's kind of a dry time in our lives. You know, there doesn't seem to be much joy, much happiness. The person who who doesn't do all these things in verse one, who does take delight in the Word of God, who is firmly planted through his relationship with Christ, can survive the dry seasons as well. They have deep roots that will survive the storms. They have a source of living water that can get them through the dry seasons. And it also says they will be fruitful. And they yield its fruit in this season. It will be fruitful. It will be fruitful and prosperous. Now remember, we're not talking about worldly prosperity necessarily. God never promised us that we'd be rich. But He says we will prosper. And meditating on God's Word, being connected with prosperity, is nothing new to the psalmist. If you look back over in Joshua 1.8, it says the same thing. In Joshua 1.8, it says, This book of the law should not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it both day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will have success, and then you will be prosperous. The result of meditating on God's Word day and night, and doing according to all that is written in it, is prosperity and success in God's terms. So what the psalmist is saying here, this, this meditating on God's Word, he says, firmly plants us for the storms of life, gives us streams of living water for the dry seasons of life, and it helps us to be fruitful, to be productive, to be prosperous in God's eyes. But this is God's prosperity. It doesn't necessarily mean worldly prosperity. We can be rich in godly things, everlasting things. Just as a tree soaks up water to produce fruit, so we can soak up God's Word to produce actions and attitudes that honor and please God. We can be prosperous in serving God, prosperous in living for God. That's the imagery we have here of the righteous man versus the wicked man. So what about the wicked man? We pick that up in verse 4. The wicked man are not so. The wicked man are not blessed. The wicked man are not happy. The wicked man are not filled with joy. Because they do walk in the counsel of the wicked, and they do stand in the path of the sinners, and they do sit in the seat of the scoffers, and they don't delight in the Lord, and they don't meditate on the Word of God, and they are not firmly planted, and they do not produce fruit, and they do not have this, the, the life-giving strength that, that comes from God. They do wither. And he goes on to say in verse 4, The wicked are not so... <coughs> But they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. The righteous is like a firmly evergreen, beautiful tree planted by streams of living water who never suffers from drought or storms, can withstand them all. But the wicked are like chaff. And chaff is the outer covering of the grain, which was absolutely useless. I mean, it was, it was useless. It was trash. It was worthless. It is what they had to beat off to get to that which was good, which was the grain itself, which is still true today. I mean, grain still grows with chaff on it. So he says the wicked are trash <laughs> or worthless. They're not fruitful. The righteous are like trees planted by streams of living water. Every green tree is bearing fruit. They're not withering. But the wicked are not so. They're like chaff. Therefore, verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. They are like chaff. They will not stand or with, be able to withstand the judgment that is, that is to come. They will not take part in the blessings and rewards of the righteous because they are chaff. They, they do not partake in the blessings of the righteous. They will not, as it says in verse 5, they will, not, they will not be in the assembly of the righteous. Verse 6, For God knows us all. 
He knows us. He knows all about us. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He does know us. God will not be fooled. God cannot be fooled. As much as we would like to think He can. He cannot. We cannot fool God. Look over in Galatians, 6th chapter of Galatians, the 7th verse. It's where it's spelled out pretty plainly. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. God is not mocked. Verse 6 of Psalm 1, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows the way of the wicked as well. And the wicked will perish, but He knows the way of the righteous. So looking at this psalm, we who live our lives according to the counsel of the Holy Spirit, we who remain on the narrow path that God leads us down, we who sit at God's feet and learn from Him, we who study His Word, who delight in God, we will be strengthened. We will be fruitful. We will be blessed. And we will be joyous forever and ever. And this comparison between the wicked and the righteous, this is a great psalm. It's also a great yardstick for us to measure our lives by. And it's a good, it's a good warning to listen to. Whose counsel are we listening to? Whose counsel are we living our lives by? Who are we spending time with? In whose presence are we sitting? Do we take delight in God's Word? Do we meditate on God's Word? Do we allow it to become marinated into every part of our lives? For if we do, then we will be able to withstand the storms by having a firm foundation. We will be able to withstand the droughts by having the streams of everlasting water. We will not wither. We will be fruitful, prosperous, involved in in godly things. And we will survive, unlike the wicked who will perish. Good psalm. Good yardstick. Good lesson for us to learn. Father God, thank you. Thank you, God, for this psalm. Thank you for, I don't know who wrote it, but just thank you, Father, for for speaking through them to us even tonight. As I was sitting here studying this over the last several days, Father, you've made me kind of think about my own life. Holy Spirit, you've you've brought up some things in my life where, you know, maybe I have been listening to the wrong counsel in some areas. Maybe I have the wrong attitudes. Maybe I have the wrong goals and desires. But Father, I do thank you as well for the the many storms that have given me the strength to survive. I thank you, Father, for, for the way that you have filled me and blessed me throughout my life. I thank you, Father, the way you have forgiven me when I have sided with the wicked. I pray, Father, that these words of the psalmist will be used to to strengthen us in our lives and in in our resolve to live for you. Instill in us a greater desire, Father, for your word, for your your path, for your counsel. Protect us from the temptations of getting off the path and keep us in your love. For this is my prayer in and through the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, my Savior and Lord, and my very bestest friend. Amen and amen.
I want to thank you for joining us tonight. And as always, if you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please send me an email. My address is David L. Keel at gmail.com. So until next time, I pray that we all will be careful how we walk and where we stand and with whom we're sitting. May God bless.